I've had an epiphany. I guess the world does need me to be president after all. Yeah, that was not the lesson at all. I want to be president again. I want to be president again. Listen, Donna. Every time a bell rings, someone you know quits or goes to jail. So I am president again. It's a Christmas miracle. No, not the lesson. So Merry Christmas, everyone. And I'm from New York. It's Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing Season 44, Episode 9 of SNL with hosts Matt Damon and musical guests Mark Ronson and Miley Cyrus. I'm John Murray and with me as always is comedy aficionado and all-around swell dude, Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlafterparty.fm. And if you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription helps us grow and your support is greatly appreciated. All right. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Damon. Now, we're not going to dig too deep on the topic of Pete Davidson, but considering that uh, it is pretty big news, it's worth bringing up, if for no other reason, just to offer him our best. Uh, So if anyone's not aware, Pete made some uh, concerning remarks on Instagram the other day and then promptly deleted his Instagram account, which uh, led a lot of people to wonder if he's in an okay state of mind uh, or if he needs some help. Anyways, the long and short of it is uh, he was kicking around 30 Rock this week. They put him on air to introduce the second musical number to make sure that everyone understood that, yes, he is alive and well, and uh, hopefully he can take the hiatus and uh, maybe get some support, get some help, sort out whatever it is he needs to sort out and be back in good shape for the January run. At least uh, that's my hope. I think we can wish him well and just basically leave it at that. Absolutely. You know, he's definitely got a lot of strength to bring him as far as he has come with what he has to work against in terms of mental illness. Yeah. So my heart definitely goes out to him to wish him the best, and I hope he uh, sees better days ahead. He has his struggles, no doubt, but uh, when he's able to keep it together, he can do some pretty stunning work, whether it's just his own stand-up stuff or even on the show. We were just noting last week that it seems like his performance ability has been on a bit of an uptick lately. And people were just saying, Hey, maybe Pete Davidson's arrived, you know, like maybe this is going to be yeah. his year. And, uh, you know, a couple hiccups along the way don't need to derail that. So I, uh, I hope the guy can just simmer, get the help he needs. And I want to see him in great shape in January. I, I wish him well. I hope the best. Me too. Okay. Let's take a look at a little bit of SNL news or lack thereof. SNL has not released any official confirmation for their 2019 episode run. So we have no official host announcements, but interestingly, Jason Momoa, who was very enthusiastic about, uh, reaching out on social media when he was at the show last week, he posted a couple pictures that very clearly present the cork board where they put up the little notes where they confirm the dates for the shows and yeah. develop the rundown as, as hosts are confirmed. Right. So we do know that Idris Alba is going to be hosting on March 9th, which I think that's a pretty obvious choice. He's officially a list sexiest man alive kind of material. I could see why SNL could be on the Idris Alba bandwagon. Uh, how you feeling? Is this something you'd be excited about? Yeah. I've always been a fan of Idris Alba. Love him in those Thor movies. 
And, uh, you know, he's got a new comedy series that he uh, actually created himself. So he's definitely got a uh, a funny bone in him. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing that in full display yeah. uh, come March. You know, pending this uh, turns out to be, you know, confirmed. And sure. uh, if it does, uh, I think we'll have a good time. Yep. My only hope bring back stringer bell do something with the wire uh it'd be a deep cut hardly anyone would get it but i would appreciate it if they figured out some funny way to run at the wire uh yeah so that's really all i gotta say about idris alba that, that's probably gonna be a fun show he seems like a very capable dude uh he's a presence if nothing else you know like he's got some style some charisma he knows how to command a stage so i have a feeling he's gonna be very competent agreed all right let's uh take a look at our episode for the cold open Trump's guardian angel offers him a glimpse of what life would be like if he'd never been elected. We get cameos from Alec Baldwin, Robert De Niro, and Ben Stiller as Trump, Mueller, and Cohen, respectively. I gotta say, I I found myself enjoying this um, inspiration from uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Okay. It was nice to see something kind of like old-fashioned, black and white, with uh, some pretty uh, clever spins on a whole bunch of Mm -hmm. what-ifs if Trump never happened. and. I thought this was a clever way of exploring that idea. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I didn't like it at all. (laughs) SNL has used. It's a wonderful life as a starting point for a lot of, well, even cold opens, but sketches throughout the years. And a lot of times it really bears great fruit. Mm -hmm. It it really is just a a fun opportunity to kind of, like you say, explore the alternatives. Um, But in this case, it just felt so tired and obvious. If you're going to use It's a Wonderful Life, use it with purpose and have a sharper way of critiquing the presidency than taking all your tried and true characters and just basically walking them through their regular beats. You know, sure. Eric's dumb. Okay. In this reality, he's had an opportunity to be a little less dumb. Kellyanne is evil. Okay. In this reality, she's had an opportunity to not be quite so evil. Same with Sarah Huckabee. Same with Michael Cohen. You know, it's just basically everyone's better off. But I mean, is that a clever thing to come up with. Uh, It didn't feel like it to me. The whole idea of it may not be so clever, but I just thought they had some good stuff in there. Like I really liked Eric's opportunity for education. (laughs) Sure. And instead of him being like super genius, like implying that he still has some work to do was a pretty good twist on that. So here and there, I I thought there was some stuff that was worth tuning into. Okay. For me, it just felt like it was kind of plodding along with a lot of, just very obvious and uninspired material that just wasn't really rousing me. So by the end of this, I felt like, okay, we saw a lot, you know, they brought out pretty much every character they currently have in their wheelhouse for the Trump administration, but none of them did anything that really, you know, amused me too much. So this was not a win for me. Well, you know, I guess I was a little more warm on it and whatever we can, we can uh, (laughs) disagree, but I thought it was at least somewhat of a, success fair enough yeah no reason to dig any deeper on that let's take a look at our monologue matt damon has fond memories of watching snl with his dad well you know this uh this had me laughing Mm -hmm. not only from my mouth but from uh what's deep down inside (laughs) here in my heart sure because i was i was definitely touched by this uh definitely uh had some uh some uh biographical vibes Mm -hmm. it was it was well written and not just in a make you laugh kind of way but that that last line really struck me how, uh, you know, here's to all the parents who let their children stay up late for all the right reasons. Right. I thought that was pretty good. And, um, yeah, I felt myself quite touched by a monologue, which I wasn't expecting. Yeah. 
Uh, this one punched me right in the feels. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think I was welling up a little bit by the end of it. He delivered the material very well. He had the poise and the flow that you need to uh, sell those jokes. Uh, there was nothing over the top about it or extravagant, but yeah, he, he just really made the material work. Yeah. And I like the message, you know, that I think there's a lot of people that have that experience of when their parents sanction the one o'clock bedtime for SNL sake and uh, for all the budding comedy nerds <laughs> uh, out there, you know, that, that is a memorable experience. I remember, you know, when my parents started allowing that and the first few episodes that I watched and yeah, the, everyone's comedy is a little bit influenced by what their parents watch and yeah, cuddling up with the folks and feeling like you're part of something special because you get to kind of absorb what they find funny. There, there's something just, yeah, really, really sweet about that whole sentiment. So <laughs> I like this. I like this a lot. Yeah, me too. Glad we agree on this one. Yeah. Yeah. This was very appropriate for the Christmas episode as well. You want a little bit of sentimentality and uh, yeah, kick things off. Nice. You want to take a look at our first live sketch? I do indeed. All right. The 85th annual Westminster daddy show. I'm just so glad they gave this a chance because this must've <laughs> sounded really off the wall yeah. uh, during the pitches and uh, the readings. Uh, it's hard to gauge something like this until it's fully realized in costume on stage. Right. And for them to take that gamble and invest in it that far to get it to that point. Uh, it shows, uh, you know, a willingness to take risks, which mm. is, uh, even more of a, a feat on live television. So yeah, I'm, I'm really glad they went with this and who would have thought it was, it, it worked. Yeah, it did work. It felt like the type of SNL sketch of some past era, uh, just very goofy, very, um, immediately funny, right? As soon as you've got the the men being pranced around like show dogs, you know, that's just goofy fun um, to have a little turn there where the announcer gets brought in as the champion show dog, uh, even funnier, you know, it's nice when they actually have somewhere to go with it that can round it out and make it feel very satisfying. So there was just a lot that really clicked. Um, they found all of the right tropes, I guess, of one of those dog shows where you do have the, <laughs> the owners or the, you know, the people leading the dogs, they have to manipulate the dogs with treats or try and get their attention, keep them focused. And sometimes the dog is being a little, uh, you know, abrasive and won't participate. So Tweety daddy come up. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Keenan, as always, you know, he, he just <laughs> really, really made that material work. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. I was surprised how much I enjoyed such a goofy little outing, but this worked really great to see this at the top of the show. Absolutely. It's always fun seeing uh, mature adult humans prance around. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, a lot of fun. After that, we get a pre-tape. A young married couple reflect on their best Christmas ever. You know, even before they made the first cut, I could just tell right away this was a spiritual sequel to Amy Schumer's uh, How You Were Brought to This World. Right. Uh, I thought this was a great pre-tape and i found myself hiding my face during the the family dinner <laughs> all too relatable and uh i just thought you know for going back to something and making kind of a, a recurring series out of it they've at least uh surpassed the quality of the first in my opinion so yeah it's a win okay it's a big win for me too but i'm gonna slightly disagree with you i don't think this was better than the first one i feel like the other one was a little less forced this one, the scenario doesn't quite work because the husband and wife know 
the drama and stress of the holidays. So for them to be sitting there reflecting and trying to maintain this pretense that, you know, it was all wonderful and satisfying, um, that doesn't work as well as keeping a kid in the dark about something that he doesn't need to know, you know, like with the original one, they were trying to paint a nice picture for the kid who's oblivious to just how tormented his mom is. Right. Whereas in this one, it's a couple talking to each other where they should be, you know, perfectly well aware of just how exhausted and thankless the job of being parents is. So for that, I felt like it wasn't quite as sharp as the original was. But see, I like that. I like that part because people always use rose colored glasses when they look back in retrospect of the holidays. The same day? I mean, we're talking about what, like 12 hours later? Oh, yeah, just to retain the sanity. Okay. Uh, I mean, you know, so be it. I just know that I've never had a conversation like that with my wife. You know, we've <laughs> we've never sat down at the end of a day where we're both obviously exhausted and thought, you know what, the best thing to do right now is to pretend that everything is, you know, great and perfect and pristine and keep up that pretense over a glass of wine. No, you you want to like dirge and unload <laughs> and like be like, oh God, that was the worst and have, you know, someone to commiserate with. So maybe that's why it didn't seem to be quite as sharp as the original one, but I don't want to paint a picture here that I didn't enjoy it. I really, really did. I just think the first one was the slightly better realized version. Okay. All right, let's move on. After that, we get a live sketch. Drunk Santa is relegated to the back of the tree with the other D list ornaments. Yeah, this was good stuff. You know, I always like the, uh, the technically ambitious sketches. Sure. And this was especially ambitious, uh, with all the cuts and, uh, transitions they had to do. Right. And uh, other than a few hiccups, it went somewhat smoothly, as smoothly as it can, really. Yeah. I just thought they really hit every note on the back of the tree ornament <laughs> list. Sure. The embarrassing uh, younger days purchases. Uh, <laughs> then you have the broken ones that have still have sentimental value. Then you have the child projects from preschool. <laughs> yeah, the macaroni art. Yeah. Yeah. Fun goodwill hunting reference as well. Sure. Yep. Agreed. This was a lot of fun. Uh, Cecily made the sketch for me. Yeah. It was the reveal of her, you know, melted hole in the face and how it's affecting her singing. Like she's an angel. So she's supposed to be making beautiful, melodic, angelic music, but she's got this slightly horrific little screech, you know, throughout her performance. That's just very (laughs) macabre and unsettling. So kudos to her for figuring out how to really sell that character. And then the green screen, you know, in that moment was used to good effect to actually be able to see a hole through Cecily's head in real time. Uh, that to me was the high watermark. I, I felt like that was really unsettling and just really had me, you know, engaged. So yeah. this was a win. This was great. A fun little goofy idea that I think was well executed. Yes, it was. Beautiful. After that, we get a pre-tape Oscar host auditions. This is our impression fest of the evening. What'd you think? I thought this had some decent stuff in it. Uh, it's crazy seeing people like Michelle Wolf being uh, big <laughs> enough to be played by Kate McKinnon on right, SNL right. now. It's it's great to see uh, some of my favorite comedians getting big. But yeah, it was uh, it was pretty good. And obviously, Oscars are coming up, so it was topical enough. Yep, uh, I have absolutely nothing to say about the setup. Right, like that's totally irrelevant. It's just a reason to trot out the best impressions they can figure out how to wedge into it. So. Really, it all just comes down to whether the impressions themselves were amusing. And I would say 50-50. You know, there were a few inspired ones. Michelle Wolf was particularly well done. Matt Damon did a very strong 
Chris Hemsworth. I thought that was solid as well as his McConaughey. Oh, the McConaughey was great. Yeah. So he was doing some solid work. I would have loved to see something fresh from Melissa. You know, we know that she does Sarah Silverman uh, as the de facto impressionist in the cast. I always want to see something fresh and new. And uh, sometimes it feels like a bit of a missed opportunity when we just see what's already been established. So yeah, this is a mixed bag. Some were amusing, some were great, and some were not so great. <laughs> you know, it's a marginal win for me. Yeah, that sounds right. All right, let's keep moving. We get a live sketch. A kitschy show tune duo perform Christmas standards at the Carnegie Lounge. You know, SNL has, has done a lot of lounge singer or lounge entertainer type sketches in the past. Uh, so you can't say that this is totally groundbreaking in terms of concept. But man, when Cecily wants to be <laughs> on, she can really be on and just pull you into whatever she's doing. I just love the back and forth between her and Matt and the backstory that was revealed between them was just gold. And uh, yeah, it was just fun sing song kind of fun to be had. Uh, yeah. I know that Cecily loves to champion these. She's been doing pretty good at getting a lot of these sort of train wreck musical characters on air. So this seems like it's just sort of the next in sort of a long line <laughs> of these type of sketches that we've had over the last season or two. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't put this one at the top of the Cecily driven train wreck musical sketches, but I feel like this was passable. I think it was good. And I think that she was definitely solid in it. And so was Matt Damon. Um, just wasn't the most amusing to me personally, but there's nothing I can really point at and say it was you know, bad or fumbly or anything like that. It just, it didn't really like rope me in as much as some of the other ones had. Um, but I did like it. So this is still a win. It just wasn't really like a sketch for me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's take a look at our musical performances. Mark Ronson and Miley Cyrus perform nothing breaks like a heart and happy Christmas war is over with Sean Lennon. Yeah, this was good stuff. Everything Mark Ronson does. I seem to enjoy wherever he pops up. Mm Mm-hmm. Miley Cyrus, I love her voice, and obviously she's a big friend of the show. She's come and gone there quite a few times. Mm-hmm. I thought they did uh, great, and War's Over cover with Sean Lennon was uh, pretty inspired, I thought. Okay. And her voice worked really well with it. Uh, yeah, I agree that her vocal performance on Happy Christmas is probably the best I've ever heard Miley perform. Now, I haven't heard a whole lot of Miley stuff because you know, I'm not a big fan. But as far as what I've seen from her on SNL or, you know, other live performances, I don't think she's ever done better. Um, but I wasn't super hot on the first song. I can't point to anything that was particularly bad about it. It just really wasn't anything that I was enjoying listening to for some reason. And Happy Christmas, you know, just to be a downer, I feel like that's kind of one of those songs that just doesn't need to be covered. Uh, I, if there's such thing as like a, a sacred song or a holy song, like a song that you just don't touch, I feel like that might be one of them. And that's just my own personal hangup. I just feel like anytime there's a whiff of commercialism sort of layered on top of a song like that, that I think is an important song, I kind of feel like, Ugh. <laughs> that's, that's not what I want done to that song, but that's me, you know, being crotchety and finding fault where we don't need to. No, <laughs> she did a really good job with her performance. I definitely can't fault her vocals on it. I feel like she had more range in that song than I've ever heard from her. So high marks on the performance. I just was a little uneasy, you know, with the whole use of that song. But I guess if you have Sean Lennon in the mix, then that's as good of endorsement as you're ever going to get. So whatever, I'll, uh, I'll acquiesce and call this a win, even though, yeah, just maybe, uh, rub me the wrong way. Fair enough. All right. Let's take a look at weekend update for their lead in. Joseph and Shay discuss Trump's latest round of legal troubles. I thought this was a fun opening salvo. 
Okay. Uh, some of the jokes uh, maybe didn't land uh, like they planned, but I thought uh, a lot of this material was pretty good. Okay. I thought Shay had a, a pretty good moment with his uh, poor attempt at making a Trump voice. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's my Trump voice. Mm-hmm. And, and just owning how bad it was. That sure. was That was fun. For a weekend update, this was uh, pretty good stuff. Yep. I got nothing bad to say about it. They've been really steady all season. This is, I think, you know, the the steadiest we're going to see weekend update under Jost and Chase. So I'm happy just to ride it out. They haven't bombed in a long time. And I'm just happy to see week over week, the consistency, just the flow and the ease of it all now. Um, even when it's not the absolute top flight material, it's solid. So yeah. Hi, Marks. Yeah, it's working. Yeah. After that, we get a recurring bit. Where's Wes? Yeah. The joke has been made. Mm-hmm. We know what Where's Wes is about. If you've seen any episode that contains a Where's Wes, uh, it's a grandiose setup for, uh, you know, a single punchline. The only thing you could really do with that is dress it up in different costumes. So, yeah, bring it out during Christmas, give it a Christmas theme, and boom, you got some uh, airtime filled. <laughs> and, you know, it's not the worst joke in the world. And having it play out as grandiose as it is, it doesn't seem to get as old as you might think. Uh, it's it's a fun ride, even if you see it coming. Okay. Uh, I guess I'm going to disagree with you. Because we know what the punchline is and because they hit the punchline exactly the same way as they did on the previous outing, I can't count it as a win. Because if you see it coming and that's the only laugh and the laugh is undercut by the fact that you already know what's going to happen and they don't mix it up, I don't know where the win is in that. You know, there is something to be said about um, all of the, you know, the flourish and the quality of the sort of the lead in graphics and everything that they do to build to that moment. But Hey, if you know the punchline, <laughs> I can't call it a win. I, I don't know why they'd bring it back personally. Well, it's probably more so for people who don't watch every single episode and sure. tune in when they can and uh, possibly have not gotten in on this awesome joke that where's Wes <laughs> provides. And you know what? That's totally fair. If it wasn't living in the shadow of the previous outing, then it is absolutely every bit as good. There's nothing about this that is in any way inferior to the first one, but I think you need to not know the punchline for it to be satisfying or, you know, for many people. So yeah, for anyone who hasn't seen it, I guess, you know, that's great. Enjoy it. Uh, For me, there's nothing that they're going to be able to do with this unless they reinvent it to make it as amusing as the first outing was. But hey, what are you going to do? Fair enough. All right, let's look at our first feature. Heidi as Angel, every boxer's girlfriend from every movie about boxing ever. And this time she is joined by Matt Damon as Tommy Ray Donovan. It's nice to see some new life breathed into uh, Angel after the last couple of outings we've had, Mm -hmm. which were great. This uh, new feature, this uh, edition of Tommy uh, as played by Matt Damon was a great way to take it because they've showed the one side of it about her being stressed and upset about Tommy fighting. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, just like every boxing movie ever, there's always that other side of it where they just make amends and it's <laughs> like everything is roses and peachy. You would never think they had a fight in their life. Sure. The way that they get on typically in these movies. So right. it was nice to see them go and kind of spoof another portion of that cliche. Yep. Yeah. It was very welcome. New twist on uh, a character we already like. Yep, that's exactly right. And that was my note too, was that they found the one remaining trope in the boxer movie, which is that unreserved, passionate show of support. 
that the girlfriend has to have for him at the end to give him the encouragement to, you know, go out and do battle one more time. Uh, so yeah, it was fun that they played that up. It was fun that they made the, uh, actual dialogue for that. So ridiculous that she's actually like encouraging to like go out and just punch him until he's dead. Uh, (laughs) so it worked for both of those reasons. Not only did they find a fresh trope to work in, but then they played up that trope as effectively as they played up the, I'm taking the kids to the ants, uh, trope on the other outings of angels. So, uh, I was really glad to see them find something fresh to bring to it. And that's always what I look for when we have a recurring character like this, is there somewhere else to go with it? So it isn't just the Mad Libs repeat of the previous outing. And this was that. So high marks. Yes, indeed. Beautiful. For our last feature, Jost and Che are giving each other jokes for Christmas. <laughs> yes, they are. And uh, boy, this is a gift that keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. I thought this was a lot of fun. Uh, they were good quality jokes and that extra layer of uh, them having not being privy to it before. <laughs> yeah, that was comedy gold. And given the already established chemistry between Jost and Che, this was a brilliant idea to do. It was fun watching Jost kind of try to prepare himself to tell a Rosa Parks joke. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Che's feigned uh, offense taken <laughs> to the jokes was also uh, pretty fun. So, yeah, there was a lot to enjoy with this, and uh, it was a success. Yeah, a big part of what was making it so much fun was how each of them got to revel in the uncomfortableness of being able to put the other person in an awkward spot, having to deliver a joke that maybe racially doesn't line up with material that should be delivered, uh, you know, especially for Jost. Right. It was fun to get that little meta layer of them screwing with each other through this joke writing. Uh, this was the most fun I had tonight. You know, we did have some good material, so I think that's actually saying quite a bit, but this was definitely the belly laughs for me, and uh, I got applauded. This was so much fun. Really great. Agreed. Yeah, before we move on, though, it's probably worth noting that as much as they insisted that this was completely off the cuff and they'd never seen the jokes before. That is not entirely the case. Uh, this did play in dress, but they slightly altered it. There was a, a couple jokes that were peppered in that were changed between dress and live. So there were a few moments that were probably, uh, genuinely surprising to Jost and Che to help kind of keep the energy and, you know, keep the performance fun. But yeah, this was not like a 100% surprise on either of their parts, but still, that ability to take material and pretend that it's putting you off, even though maybe you are familiar with it, that is a performance in and of itself. So I have to applaud just how well they were able to make the whole piece seem organic, even if, you know, <laughs> it's written material. Uh, so yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of fun indeed. Beautiful. That is weekend update. Let's take a look at the back half of the show. We get a live sketch at a dinner party. Two guests discuss their passionate views about Weezer. I think a lot of people can relate to this sketch. Maybe not about Weezer, but anyone my age might have had a conversation similar to this over Metallica or Green Day. You could point to a lot of bands that have, you know, changed their sound over the years. It's actually kind of funny that they chose Weezer because I, I don't find a, a, that big of a difference in, in their music between the old and the new. But apparently there's enough to have this uh, heated debate over. So how about that? And about the sketch? Did you enjoy the sketch at all? The sketch. Oh, are we talking about <laughs> sketches tonight? <laughs> um, yeah, it was fun. Leslie is a great shouting match partner sure. for Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. She definitely can hold her own against one of the the best angry guys of Hollywood. 
And uh, yeah, it was just so weird and just kept spiraling. I felt that it was hilarious. And that last little reveal that they weren't even invited. Yeah. And that there was uh, some maybe some bad blood there in a, in a divorce. Right. That was some fun little droplets to to play it out. Sure. So yeah, there was a lot of stuff working here. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, agreed. I feel like the sketch was written for me because I am a very big Weezer fan. I have my own very passionate views on when they peaked as a band and what's, you know, true Weezer and maybe what's played out Weezer. Uh, so <laughs> this was a lot of fun because the arguments that both sides were making are the actual arguments. Like the people who wrote the sketch definitely understood the nuances of the Weezer debate and they captured it perfectly. So I want to give a shout out actually to the writers. It was Eli Mandel, Alan Linick, and Steve Castillo that worked on this one and they nailed it. If you are a Weezer fan or if you just understand what they're getting at, this plays very true and is a lot of fun. If you don't, hopefully you can just enjoy the brash over the top barbs of a dinner conversation gone bad. Uh, but either way, this was a lot of fun. I, I thought this was a nice way to kind of reestablish the sketch energy for the back half of the show. Yeah, definitely was. Let's keep moving. We get another live sketch. Things get deep when a group of off-duty cops break balls over drinks. I think most people out there have had some experience with this whole ball breaking culture. <laughs> sure. It's in a lot of blue collar type professions and it's definitely in law enforcement. Right. I just loved how like Kyle Mooney's character just takes everything on the chin and uh, he doesn't see the pattern that he's the lone target for all of this. Right. He just brushes it off like, oh, this is just friendly banter between uh, coworkers. Just not realizing how it's so stacked against him. Sure. And also it was nice to see Alec Baldwin use in a sketch other than for Trump. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was not the greatest stuff, but it, it was fun to be had. I mean, we're getting towards the end of the night, so might as well just have some fun, right? Not try too hard. Yeah, this wasn't too bad. Uh, definitely back half of the show material, but I was digging it. I thought that the joke kind of lived in the idea that after they're done breaking balls and just, you know, being boys, that they all get very real and very sentimental and, you know, very much in tune with their emotions for a moment. They have this little cathartic moment of, uh, common ground. <laughs> uh, that's a nice little way to undercut what you would maybe expect to see in a cop drama where a scene like this might play out. I don't think you get the big emotional realizations and all that interpersonal growth between the people. So I think the fact that they made the characters so emotionally insightful was kind of what worked about it, at least for me, right? Cause that wasn't what I would expect to see. Okay. Yeah, but one way or another, whether you take it just as kind of like a fun send up of cop ball breaking culture, or you like the idea that these characters are 180 degrees opposed from maybe the emotional maturity that you would expect from a cop. Um, either way, I think it was fun enough for this point in the show. Good way to put it. Fun enough. All right. Very good. And that brings us to our 10 to one sketch live from 10 Downing Street. It's Prime Minister Theresa May's Happy Christmas Britain fun stravaganza. Yeah, this was uh, carried by Kate McKinnon, mm -hmm. for sure. She did the heavy lifting here, playing Teresa, and uh, really captured the unlikable features of her. Sure. Uh, she had a very stilted performance, hardly bent her elbows. <laughs> it really was a good depiction of how Teresa May tries to be hip and cool and fails miserably. She's basically the British Hillary Clinton in a lot of ways. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a pretty apt comparison. I don't have a whole lot to say about this. I think that this was a sketch that I think got hacked apart a little bit. I know that the Voldemort part at the end was supposed to be a whole interview 
that just kind of got, you know, chopped out for the sake of time. So I don't think this sketch is everything that it could have been. Maybe there's a better version of it out there somewhere that played better, but I felt like uh, it was a little, little rough at times. Um, didn't really maintain its energy very well. And I think you need to be in the loop on Theresa May and maybe how she's viewed by the British public to kind of be in on the joke. And, you know, I don't follow British politics, so I didn't have a whole lot of context going into it. And I feel like in a few years, no one will. So I don't know if this is going to age well. I don't know if it was very well-rounded. And uh, yeah, I just don't feel like this one came together right. I think it's fun. You know, the idea of putting a fuddy-duddy in charge of a variety show. I think that's a nice starting point, but I don't think that they got anywhere great with it. It didn't reach high heights. No. No. Uh, Let's not dwell on that. Let's get into our moment of the night. Mine's definitely uh, Keenan calling up uh, Tweety Daddy onto the pedestal. <laughs> oh, God, that was that was brilliant performance. The delivery was <laughs> golden. Tweety Daddy, come up here. Tweety Daddy, come up here. <laughs> I imagine my girlfriend's going to get pretty annoyed for me uh, saying that around the house for the next couple of days. It's it's a near worm. And uh, Keenan, you've done it again. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, if you've got me uh, laughing just thinking about it, then obviously that's a good moment. Can't fault you. <laughs> I'm going with the angel ornament played by Cecily slowly rotating to reveal the hole in the head and ah. the unsettling quality of Cecily's performance. Her whole introduction, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the way that they revealed her and then the performance that she managed to bake into just a few seconds of screen time worked really, really good. I thought it was a great moment. Definitely. Beautiful. Good choice. Best sketch. I'm going to give it to um, the back of the tree. I thought that was a a fun little story and uh, the camera tricks were fun. And I thought, you know, there were some good jokes and Cecily showing up as that broken ornament was the icing on the cake. (laughs) It was, it was a good sketch and uh, probably the one I had the most fun with. Yep. Yep. It was solid. Uh, for my best sketch, I am going with Jost and Che are giving each other jokes for Christmas. Yeah. This was fresh update material. It was very well delivered. Like you did legitimately buy the idea that they were putting each other off and they were reveling in the moment. Like there was a lot of performance on top of the jokes and the jokes had added context that made them even more satisfying. And it was probably some of the more risque material for the night. And because they were winking at it and saying, Oh no, Joe didn't write this joke. This is a change joke. They can get away with making some very off color jokes and having them land because you get the context of why, you know, this joke even exists. That's right. So there was just a whole lot playing into why that scenario was a lot of fun to watch. And I thought that it, it really played out nice. Like I mentioned before, the biggest belly laughs of the night for me. Yeah, there were belly laughs that be had with this. And um, I almost gave it my best sketch myself. Yeah. Uh, very, very strong. How about MVP? What do you got? I think Cecily deserves it. Mm, okay. Yeah. She uh, had a lot to do. She was the reason both of us uh, enjoyed uh, the uh, back of the tree sketch. Well, one of the reasons. Yep. She uh, showed a, Fun side of uh, Melania Trump without the accent. That was a interesting way to spin that. Mm-hmm. And uh, even her as the lounge singer was was a lot of fun. So she gets it from me this week. Yep. I think that's the right call. I'm going with Cecily too. She was ever present. She did a lot of heavy lifting, like you said, in the lounge singer sketch. She was really bringing a lot of performance to that. The little demented angel figurine was genuinely creepy and you needed her performance to really sell that. So those were some really good moments for her. And she was elsewhere. You know, she was in the cop sketch, keeping pace there. Um, 
yeah, good showing for Cecily. I can't think of anyone else in the show that I felt was standing out more than her. No, I agree with you. Beautiful. On a scale of classic, great, decent, weak, or train wreck, how would you rate this episode? John, I'm happy to give this one a great. Okay. Uh, we had a couple of weeks and decents the last couple of weeks, but this one transcended uh, an average episode, I find. And I think uh, Matt Damon helped bring some new life to the show that hasn't been around for a while. It just felt genuinely fun once again. Okay. Uh, I agree with everything you said, but I think that that would qualify it squarely as a decent, you know, the show's supposed to be fun. So just because the last few episodes have maybe been a little lacking, that doesn't mean that the first time we come across a fun show that we should jump right to great. So, I mean, this is all subjective. I can't fault you for coming up with great, but I think that for me, this is solid, decent, you know, maybe a high decent, (laughs) if we wanted to get really specific kind of a show. Um, there weren't a lot of clunkers. The writing was solid, but there wasn't a lot of just like rolling on the ground, laughing moments. There was a couple highs, but most of it was just pretty solid down the middle. So I would say this is one of the more even shows that we've had lately, but I don't think that it, it got into great territory enough to really say that this is squarely a great episode. So, uh, yeah, I'll just stick right down the middle. And I stand by my great. <laughs> All right. Uh, very good. You got anything else? No, that's it. Okay. That's a cast. Thanks as always to Steve Finn. And thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Aaron and Trader, Jonathan Jordan, Kalen Pope, and Miles Donahue. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. You can learn more about all the ways you can support the cast at snlafterparty.fm. We'll be back in one week with Mike Bloom and Mario Lanza's review of SNL's December run. But until then, this has been episode number 65 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Okay, thanks to Mark Ronson, to Miley Cyrus, to Alec Baldwin, Ben Stiller, Robert De Niro. Now, because this is the last SNL of the year, uh, I just wanted to propose a toast to everyone out there watching. Here's to closing out the year and to an even brighter year ahead. But mostly, here is to all the moms and dads who let their kids stay up too late for all the right reasons. Cheers. Now, we got a great show for you tonight. Miley Cyrus and Mark Ronson are here.